Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. No, I don't actually want to do that. But <laughs> I was like, hold on, let me get this. I like it when people are feisty, yeah? No, I'm feisty because I, there's still this belief system that doesn't go away of like, the second I touch a weight that's heavier than 10 pounds, I'm just going to immediately start building all this ridiculous amount of muscle. And I'm like, whatever secret you have, Mrs. Jones, please share it with me because I've been at this for 23 years. I'm on TRT and growth hormone and I can't gain a half an inch of my bicep if I wanted to with every effort of my life. Really? What do they know that I don't know, Caitlin? Um, they don't know anything. <laughs> That's the problem. It's like, so let's, and I want to, listen, you've been in this space for a long time. You're very, very good at what you do. When women tell you that they feel bulky, what is your response to them? And what explanation are you coming up with that I'm not getting? Okay. So first, thank you. That's very kind. I aim to be the best at what I could do, um, but lots to learn always. Um, so the biggest thing I think that women get confused is, for example, you'll probably have a lot of female clients saying, I just want to be toned. I just want to be toned. And I don't like the way my stomach looks and I don't like the way my clothes fit. And then you tell them, okay, well, if we're going to do that strategically, I need you to train and I need to teach you how to train. Like, because most women don't actually know how to train. So once you get them fundamentally sound in the gym, um, they tend to start having fun with it. But the the belief that they have is that if I lift heavy, specifically heavyweights for whatever reason, if I lift heavy, I'm going to get bulky. When you get into new training, especially if you're novice or you've taken time off and you're getting back into it, whatever it might be, if it's unfamiliar to you, what you initially start to notice is a, you're damaging muscle fibers, right? There's an inflammatory response to that. And what happens within the first few weeks of somebody getting that adaptive response to training is that inflammation can make them feel like they have like big legs, right? Cement legs. They're heavy. My clothes don't fit as well. They're a little tight, right? And they assume, oh my God, I'm just putting on so much muscle. I'm getting so bulky. I don't want to be bulky. I want to be fit and lean and toned and all those beautiful things. What they don't understand is that there's an adaptive response. And most of those people have a history of chronic under eating. So then we have an energy demand versus energy availability issue because we cannot only fix fibers that have been broken, but structure any new tissue with energy demands that aren't present. So then we have a chronic um, physiological stress response, which is going to increase the water retention that they're already experiencing on top of them feeling like crap. And so this is where you have to break two beliefs at once with A, you need to train to get the toned look that you want because having a toned look really comes from having adequate amounts of muscle. And if we look at, and I've done a post on this on my Instagram page, realistic rates of growth for muscle is significantly slower than the rate in which you can lose body fat. 
Yep. Right. And so we have to set realistic expectations. You are not going to blow up and be like the Hulk, but there is going to be an adjustment period, an adaptive period that's going to feel uncomfortable in many different ways. And so we have to teach you one, if you want to eliminate the chronic stress and physiological response that you're experiencing, you have to eat more. And it's like, oh my God, if I eat more, I'm going to get fat. And then if I eat more and I lift heavy, I'm going to get bulky and fat. Right. And so <laughs> these are just narratives that unfortunately, and now that I understand more of the sides of business, shitty marketing, really bad marketing, um, because what they don't understand is while that might get them clicks, it's also building a lot of psychological narratives that are detrimental to someone actually achieving the goals that they want for themselves. And so understanding that unless you are a gen genetic anomaly, like truly a genetic anomaly, the odds that you are putting on pounds of muscle even in 12 weeks, like you might be able to put on a pound, maybe a pound and a half. And that's with like good training intensity and adequate fuel. Right. Outside of that, mm, not really going to happen. So when you're talking to people, what is it that you find they're the most, what is their pushback on that? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll lead into it with a story. So I recently started working with a woman. She's actually here local in LA um, in the music business. So she's kind of surrounded by emaciated skinny people anyway. <laughs> Because half of the female artists she represents are starving themselves and doing whatever crazy enema, coffee, drip, butthole diet that you're hearing about these days. Butthole diet. Yeah, whatever that is. I don't know. What shooting coffee up your butt? That's a thing now. I oh, a coffee much. enema. I yeah, know yeah. people that do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure why you can't just put it in your mouth, but um, they listen to each their own. So she was going to a Pilates studio. Her Pilates instructor was like, you know what? I don't lift heavier than five pound dumbbells because I'm going to get bulky and I don't think you should either. So that was the conditioning that she's coming from for years and years and years. So this is a seemingly fit woman that's teaching her that if she lifts heavier than five pounds and she'll get bulky. So there's obviously that fear. And when it comes from a person whose physique, she wouldn't mind emulating, it's probably a relatively powerful message for her to receive because she's looking at this woman as, as, maybe leading by example, a thought leader. I don't know. So fast forward now, she hires this 38-year-old Jack tattooed male nutrition coach who's telling her she needs to lift heavy. She needs to lift at least three to four times a week and she needs to eat above 1,400 calories so that she doesn't die. Um, I can see why that's a difficult message to receive when you've spent 10 years thinking about it in a completely different way. I mean, listen, if something came out next week that told us that hypertrophy training is done in a swimming pool and that was the only way it would be tough for me to start to accept that and i get it like i understand like i've just been taught for 23 years that hypertrophy training is done with mechanical tension now you're telling me that i could just be in a pool and all of a sudden i can get hypertrophy well that's weird for me i don't understand let me see all the data like i would ask for all the data as to why that's true i would I go and start training inside of a pool to start seeing if it worked? Probably. I'm, I'd die because I'm a shitty swimmer, but I would have to at least put it to the test to be able to see if it was true. So I think putting something to the test for a week or for two weeks or for three weeks is probably not giving it enough time to really come to fruition, to really give it an honest assessment. So I, I, I'm very, very much empathetic to the idea that it's hard for you to accept this as a female and I get it. So the pushback that I'm getting really starts to come down to the fact that there's probably 
acute sensations that these women are feeling that they're that are hard for them to reconcile based on their previous belief system. But I think yeah. that it's really important first to look at, okay, totally understand where you're coming from. A lot of people feel that way. Can you tell me if you've ever trained intentionally very heavy and seen negative side effects as far as body composition? Have you ever observed that? Right. Because what you're doing there is you're asking them to provide a piece of evidence that would support the belief that they have. And a lot of people carry stories, whether they're conscious or subconscious beliefs about the way that the world works or the way that they are, um, when there's no evidence to support that that thing is actually true. And so when I go through a framework of people with people with, you know, looking at their beliefs and the way that they are and the way that they speak over themselves are about certain things. Right. I can acknowledge that that's a belief that you have, though I don't know where it came from. Right. What is the thought that's associated with that belief? And can you extract it and look at it objectively and ask yourself if there's ev any evidence that that thing is true? Because if there's not, then we've already broken through that. And now we can challenge the way that they perceive and experience, or at least give them the courage and confidence to try. And so when you get to that point, what I like to see, because in no way can we really build habits, nor can we really assess how something is working without 60 days of commitment. And so for the next 60 days, I would say, I want you to do this for the next 60 days. If indeed you get bulky and blow the fuck up doing what I, doing what, you know, I'm asking you to do, right. You can give them confidence that, Hey, I will add a month of free coaching on for you or two that, months, right. I will well, honor those 60 days that we just made you bulky. And I will put you on the slim fast diet and we will do body weight exercises until you puke. Right. Like that type of thing is like, okay, well, worst case scenario, right. Cause then we can walk through what is the potential upside and downside of this, of this situation right? The potential upside is that she builds muscle. She loses body fat. She improves her body composition. She feels more confident, more energetic. She's feeling herself properly. And she's broken that belief. That's the potential upside. The potential downside, worst case scenario is that she gets bulky. Okay. Let's say she gets bulky. Um, and that she doesn't, isn't satisfied with that. And at that point I would speculate that she would still be in a better position than where she was when she started with you. Right. So that's the worst case scenario. So if we weigh the pros and cons, right, the potential upside versus the potential downside, given that the potential downside we've already mitigated with a guarantee, what is the worst thing that could happen? Right. Worst Why thing, would yeah. you not go after that? I, I, I don't disagree with you, but let, let me throw a couple of monkeys in the wrenches into the conversation. So let's take it from a circumference measurement standpoint. Yep. Um, which we all know is about as imperfect as it gets. Is that a pina colada? I wish. It's too early for me to be drinking, but. Well, depends on what time zone you're in. Um, <laughs> it's earlier so, for you. What do you mean? <laughs> listen, the, the 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 three hours that I've been awake already, I should be drinking considering what I've already had to deal with. But <laughs> so when somebody, let's say somebody is is new to this entire process, and now you're having them do all these things. They're having their their strength training, they're tracking their food, they're doing circumference measurements, and it's all very new to them. Obviously, there's a degree of imperfection and degree of personal fallibility that comes with putting a measuring tape around your body. Yep. Can it stand to reason that if you're using centimeters and your thigh has now gone up three centimeters in the course of two weeks, which is Kind of a lot, in my opinion. Yeah. Could it have been tape placement? Could it have been user error because it was too tight or too loose or in the wrong place or not consistent to where you measured last time? That's question number one. 
but and let's say this is a person who's not even using the scale as a metric. They're just using circumference measurements and clothing size. I think you're probably better equipped to handle the clothing size argument because you're a female who puts herself into female clothing. And we all know that there's variability from brand to brand and size and size. And I mean, that happens in the male world too. But I also know personally for me, if I was going to micromanage the way that every pair of pants or jeans that just came out of the dryer fit, I would feel like shit in all my jeans because they all come out of the dryer pretty tight. And when I put them on around my thighs, none of them are comfortable. And I usually have to do at least 50 air squats in them to get them moving at all. And that's how I usually gauge my jean quality. So there's those two variables, the how, the, how your clothes are fitting and what circumference measurements are doing. So let's say somebody is starting to feel unfavorable in those two areas. Mm-hmm. What are the conversations we're having there? Okay, so first thing is I'm just going to point out If indeed you are going to take measurements such as your thigh or your arm or whatever it might be, you also need to gauge the point in which you are taking that measurement. For example, if I'm going to measure my thigh, then I need to measure my entire thigh, the length of it, and then know exactly what point on my thigh that I'm going to be be taking the circumference. Otherwise, you you know, I never thought I've been a coach. I've been training people for 15 years and I've been a coach for five. I've never thought about that. So I hate you. I hate you, but I love you. Research, you know, when you have to repeat measurements, you have to know exactly where you took it the time before or as accurately as possible. So that's what you want to do as far as measuring those things. But I actually don't have people track that. Um, I find that to be, again, user error. People will overthink a centimeter, two centimeters, whatever it might be. And um, we have to look at the significance of that measurement. And is it actually beneficial to be tracking that when it's not even going to be the most conducive to assessing their progress, right? If I'm looking at someone, I'm looking at their pictures. So pictures are something that you should take every single week, regardless of how you feel about taking them. You should take pictures every single week. Um, second thing about what you said, like I said, measurements can be um, skewed, uh, inaccurate at best. And the one that I do take that I think is the most important is your waist measurement. Most people can find the smallest part around their waistline. Typically, if they don't know where that is, I tell them to track it right around their belly button. Their belly button is not going to move. So keeping that as a consistent placement is also important. So I'm looking at pictures. I'm looking at their waist measurement. um, And I'm assessing the way that they are telling me their clothes fit. But women, and you all know this, if you are putting jeans in the dryer and you've just washed them, they're going to be fucking tight. They're fucking tight every single time that you put them in the dryer. Okay. So like, yeah, I got to like you know, what does Beyonce say? If you don't like jump into your jeans, I'm not worried about some shit like that. Like that's how I feel when I put on my jeans out the dryer. I'm like, all right, we got to make these babies fit today. Um, but I also don't get caught up in that because you have to remember any, any female fitness person will tell you that finding jeans that fit a, a physique that is built with muscle, that is not as malleable, let's say, as body fat that you can kind of squeeze and fendingle around into certain things, right? You're more solid. It's incredibly difficult to find jeans that fit your physique in general. Um, and so I wear mom jeans because they fit my waist and they are loose enough on my legs. And I'm like, oh, cool. So what are, what are mom jeans? Just I'm my mom hates you're... them because they were in when she was like younger and now they're coming back. They're kind of like the looser, high-waisted um, jeans instead of like skinny tight. Yeah. 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 So I prefer them. Um, they're much more comfortable as well, but when I'm having those conversations and again, I'm going to go back to, you mentioned, you know, their clothes are tighter, even though they may or may not be seeing some progress moving at that point. 
what I'm going to first look at is their data. If they're under eating and they're still training, right? They're running themselves into the ground at the gym. Let's say that we've got their intensity where it needs to be. They're going to be chronically inflamed and it goes back to the energy availability issue, especially with electrolyte imbalances. I see this all the time. If you are not getting adequate amounts of electrolytes, replenishing those, it's not just water, right? You sweat that, that's fine, but we're also sweating out those electrolytes. And so electrolyte imbalances can cause inflammation. They can cause cognitive impairments, impairments. they can cause fatigue, um, clarity. I mean, you, you see all these different trends and most of the time people that are in a deficit it, even if a slight deficit, depending on how responsive they are, they can feel as though their deficit is significantly greater because they've depleted electrolytes. Um, and it makes people feel like shit. And so I have to go through, okay, well, are we doing anything supplementary with that? And as soon as you add an electrolyte, especially whether it's intra-workout or before bed, because some people will complain about their ability to sleep, um, we see that pick up right away. So, so we're talking, we're talking sodium, potassium. Sodium, potassium, magnesium. Most yeah. people are depleted of magnesium. Which magnesium um, do you like to use? Um, glycinate. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that I'm going to strongly recommend for most yep. people. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same camp. I just, I, I mess around with three and eight in the morning just to see if my crazy brain can function better. But I I agree, glycinate. I just, I, I want to put that out there just so people know definitively. Yeah, because they'll ask, because there's like, well, there's 17 different times and we don't need you taking magnesium citrate. You know, we don't need to go down that road. So that will make you prove you don't know what or, that is. Or you might, who knows? Yeah. Don't, don't lean on magnesium citrate to produce good poops. Yeah. Oh, I'm great. And health. well, I mean, that could be an entirely different conversation about health aesthetics pursuits and pe the number of people that will use suppositories and things like that to, yeah, there's a lot of, unhealthy shit that goes around there. So that's what I would say around that conversation is we need to look at all of the variables very objectively. We also need to assess consistency and adherence and time horizon, right? Cause you can't expect a result after one week, like good job. That's momentum. I want to see you do this for eight weeks before we complain about any, any type of adaptive response that you're not seeing. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, listen, the problem is, is I think because we're on this side of the table, it's easy for us to be able to reconcile all of these different ideologies and, and accept them to be true and accept them to be the way that it is. I'm currently in a bulking phase. Guess what? I'm not enjoying it at all. It sucks. I mean, right now I'm averaging 4,000 calories. Some of it is slop because I just, I don't time my food properly and I end up eating too many calories at night, but it's working. Like people have I haven't seen some people in a few weeks and people are like, oh, you look bigger. I'm like, yeah, good. That's what I'm trying to achieve. Um, but look bigger means they're going to grow too. So there's going to be some fat gain somewhere. You can't just gain purely. I mean, and I'm to say that I'm enhanced would be doing TRT more credit than it deserves. So I'm on TRT, which means I'm not enhanced, which means I'm just regular now. But I know enhanced athletes who can't just put on purely only muscle. So the idea that, you know, even somebody who's doing everything right, who's eating in a surplus, who's trying to get quality sleep, who is well hydrated, who is trying to mitigate stress, who is addressing their non-exercise activity, food quality and food consumption, like it's, it's, it's a very daunting task to try to intentionally layer on tissue. And I think, I think it was you actually that I had talked to a very long time ago that, that used the analogy of of putting a hair on the wall. Was that you? No, but uh, maybe it was. You have to remind me what it said. You said that, I think it, I think it was you and I were talking about this and you said Probably that putting, a, putting on muscle is like putting a piece of hair on the wall, painting yeah. over it. And then, yeah, see, I knew you were brilliant. I just forgot when. Um, <laughs> 
But I, I've used that analogy now a hundred times and it really is that painstakingly slow because it's like workout, break down, recover, repeat. And like, why would you think that that would happen in like a couple of days? Like if you're feeling bigger, so to speak, from a workout that you did two days ago, why couldn't it be inflammation? I mean, it, it's a, that's exactly what it is. What else would it possibly be that you didn't put on fat in 24 or 48 hours and you're sure as hell that it's. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it easier to put on fat quickly or muscle quickly? Well, body fat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's and, much, it's much easier to overstimulate your system with additional calories and you can do that right at, you know, Uber eats right at your door. You don't have to leave to accomplish that. Right. So then the, the relative levels of resistance to achieve that outcome, though, we don't want it. Most people do engage in it. Right. And it's one of those things where, oh, I have to get off my ass. I have to go to the gym. I have to feel my body properly. And then I have to overload, which is entirely uncomfortable the entire time. Right. You can find some like adrenaline in there, but afterwards you're, you're pretty run down. And then you realize that maybe, maybe, right? You've acquired one fine structured tissue. If, and only if the recovery aspect is where it needs to be and your energy availability is there, right? So it becomes increasingly complex to understand. And most people, I think they relate the rate in which they lose weight loss, right? Body fat, or even just weight. If you're not training, you're going to lose actually more muscle relative to the rate in which they should gain muscle. And they're not even close to being the same adaptation. So we have to think of these things as entirely different things. They don't operate in the same thing. And the rate in which you achieve either one is entirely separate. Yeah. And I, let's, let's make that distinction and, and beat that dead horse for a little while. Cause I think that's an interesting conversation. So in order, at least this is my belief system in order to actually gain meaningful fat in a short period of time, the lengths that you would have to go to overeat would be so uncomfortable. I don't think most people can handle it. I'm going to push back. Okay. Um, just so slightly, because I think, yes, in context, that's true. But one thing that I don't necessarily love is when you make that statement, again, painting a picture with a broad brush is not something that I try to do. So we need to go deeper into the context. What is their metabolic health? Most people have uh, metabolic issues that aren't even aware that they have them, right? So we need to look at insulin resistance. We need to look at how high is cortisol. Cortisol can also increase abdominal fat storage. And so if this person is chronically run down, underfed, the quality of their diet is terrible and their stress levels are high and they are also not sleeping. Uh, Dr. Campbell made a really good post about sleep deprivation and how much body fat you can accumulate just from that. And so with those added variables, yes, still calories and energy intake matters. And that will always be the foundation of these things. But with all of those other things potentially being on the table, I don't know that the the blanket statement of 35 additional 3,500 additional calories is what will make you gain a pound. No, I don't think right? that either. And I, so I, I think we need to look deeper into metabolism, into daily movement, into exercise, into, you know, what is their actual metabolic health looking like? Because that's going to dictate the outcome of their eating events um, and, and how many calories they can actually consume to maintain. And then what, in what context of a surplus are we talking that they would start storing body fat? Well, that's again, going to come down to how, how well functioning their metabolic functions are. So let's paint a picture then. So let's take a 150 pound woman who's severely metabolically compromised. Let's say yep. she's done everything wrong for a very long time and now she's paying the price for it. Um, so this is somebody who's insulin resistant, 150 pounds, but low muscle mass, high body fat, poor mm -hmm. sleeper, poor hydrator, poor food quality, everything across the board. Um, 
let's say she's able to maintain that 150 pounds on 1500 calories. Mm -hmm. Okay. What would the daily excess estimated daily excess of calories have to be for her to be able to put on meaningful, noticeable, feelable body fat? And All right. If I'm going to, yeah. if I, so I think anywhere, like I work with a lot of clients who come out of very binary thinking, right? And that's the rigid zeroing my macros, doing everything to the T perfectionistic mindset, right? And they, what you see in the, that population is that they're the ones who tend to also aggressively overeat when their macros are not perfect, right? And so I, I make that a point because one, I think that a wiggle room within 300 calories is a fine one to work within for energy balance. Um, because energy demands, remember, are not even the same on a daily basis. If you walk more, if your exercise was more intense, if you're training lower body, right, there's a lot more muscle fibers that are engaged. It's more energetically taxing. So your requirements for that one day are going to be a bit higher, but in the context of a week, right, that's why we look at it, adherence over a week, right, that balances out. So I would say for her to maintain, she could probably eat in a surplus infrequently a couple days, right? 300 calories plus or minus, right? And probably maintain weight. Anything above that, especially over a chronic time horizon period, right? Because if we're looking at, you know, 100 calories in addition a day, just for simple math, right? That's 700 calories in excess to your maintenance calories per week, right? And so if it, if it is a chronic habit that we're not adherent to these things and we're overeating, even if it's two days and you're in 500 calories plus that's a thousand calories that you've intaken over a week. And so people will excuse poor behavior over a 24 hour period, but what they don't recognize is that it is a chronic thing that you are doing. And the quality of that, especially eating closer to bedtime, which disrupts sleep patterns, which increases cortisol levels over a chronic time horizon. Right. And if you're doing that repeatedly, especially in a metabolically compromised human being, I would speculate that they would probably be able to notice that within a couple of weeks of just being mindless in that. I, I would love to see the research on it, um, but that would be my, if I were to speculate on an outcome, I would, I would do that. So, I mean, it's still even two weeks, I think is still longer than let's say two days. Yeah. What, what do a lot of people doing is they're, they're having, they're equating a increase on the scale to some acute decision-making over the last 24 or 48 hours, which sure you overeat on carbs than you know that you normally don't eat. You should probably see some water retention, sleep or training changes that can cause water retention. Those fluid retentions will obviously show up on the scale as a couple pounds here and there, but uh, to alleviate that panic, I think as our job is, is, is an important part of our job is to be able to tell people like, Hey, it's okay. Like that's going to happen. I mean, move your scale from one side of the room to the other side of the room. It'll probably read a different number also, you know, to the point where like I was at the doctor's office last week and they weighed me while I was holding my keys and my phone in my hand. You're not even getting an accurate measurement of me while I'm standing here. Like to me, it's almost like there's just no precision with that number whatsoever different so, brands of scales different positions on the floor like the way that your room is tilted there's just so many variables to control here that that i think a lot of people will panic or they'll go use the scale at the gym and that thing now says seven pounds heavier yeah 
So I think first let's reverse a little bit when it comes to scale fluctuations. I think the other important consideration specifically for females is the time in which you are in your cycle that will fluctuate relative to that timeline. And the best thing that you can do is monitor your weight trend and note which, which phase of your cycle you're in. So that inevitably next month, when your weight spikes three to five pounds going into your cycle, that is a normal scale fluctuation. And you can stop tying the emotion to the objective observational data that we've seen time and time again, right? So that's where you can, if, if you are wanting to make a change and understand what's going on, then you need to also bring in an intentional awareness of learning your own physiology. If you cannot pay attention to what you are assessing and seeing, and you continue to complain every month at the same time about the same things, then at some point, you need to own that you refuse to look under the hood and look at what's going on, right? That is a personal thing that you are actively choosing to do by not looking at it, right? You're choosing to continue to go down these stressful days where you wake up and you weigh yourself. Oh my God, I had a perfect week. I'm tired and fatigued. I'm hungry and my weight is up. What's going on? You're going into your cycle again, right? And so this is where you have to be observational about that. Things like bowel movements, um, if you're not pooping every day or you're not pooping everything every day, right? If you have higher sodium that day, let's say you went out to eat, right? And your water is stable, but you had a, a load of sodium, you're going to be more water retentive, stress, undersleeping, all those different things are going to cause a scale fluctuation. And I think when it comes to why the scale impacts women so much is that when we go into the doctor's office and they weigh us, we know some really healthy fucking people that are dense where they would be... Uh, you know, someone that they would worry about as far as their weight, right? You're up into that, that range where you're obese. If you like my, like my BMI being 38. Yeah. Right. And so people, we are taught from a young age that your weight says something about your health. That narrative is really damaging. Like when we watch people, people talk and they talk about their progress relative to their weight. I think that is a huge disservice to the psychology of people that are going into it, wanting to improve their health and end up focusing on their validation of progress with a number. And this is really prominent in women. And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I, I do believe this to be true, is that beauty standards are not set by men. Beauty standards are set by women. They should right? we be. Saw, we saw, well, I know. And that I think that, I do think that, well, I don't want to get too into men. By the way, for any female that's going to be listening to this, men have no beauty standards. <laughs> well, I mean, they kind of do. I mean, but... half of us spent most of our 20s finding anything with a pulse. So, okay, I'm really, really passionate about <laughs> evolutionary psychology. So I study a lot of these things and how men compete and how women compete. Um, and it's it's interesting, but my point being that if you are a female that is focusing on the scale, I would urge you to consider if you would rather weigh this ideal number and feel incredibly insecure, be kind of skinny fat, really, um, but say that you weigh 110 pounds, or would you rather weigh 125 pounds with a banging body that you feel comfortable and confident and have energy in, you can enjoy your food, you are strong, right? Which one would you actually choose in real time? If you could observe them without even, if I could present these two physiques without you knowing the scale, and I just said, which one would you prefer? 99.9% .9 of women want that body composition and they want to feel strong and they want to have that tone and they want to be confident. They want to feel attractive. They want to have people look at them and be like, oh, they just did a double take. 
like, yeah, that's me. I worked for this. Like, that's what you want. The problem is that in order for you to get what you want, you have to stop doing what you've been doing because it's not actually working and it's more detrimental to you in the long term, especially. This industry, health and wellness, is supposed to be about health and wellness. How many people walk through the fucking door to achieve health and wellness and end up fucked up? Too many. Like, this is the shit that drives me absolutely bullshit. Like whenever you follow, especially, and I, I love, I have so much respect for bodybuilding athletes and all that. I did that for a long time, but if every day on your story, you're posting new low, new low, new low, (laughs) and promoting that this lifestyle, what you are pursuing in a prep is something that should be, we should ring a bell at. It is not healthy. The consequences of that can be detrimental to people. I see it all the time. And so while it is, yes, we should absolutely clap for their discipline and their efforts and their mental fortitude and their commitment, right? I think that's a huge thing that people need is discipline and commitment. And if you can do those two things with any endeavor, you will be successful in it because you also have to accept that no matter what arena you step into, if you want to accomplish anything, suffering and pain are inevitably a part of that process. No matter what you do, you can either have the courage to do something different that will inevitably, if you commit to it, and I mean really commit, not be interested in then when it gets uncomfortable, like quit, that's stupid. If you can actually commit to seeing that thing through and ride the midline when things are great and when things are shitty, if you can do it long enough, you will get to where you want to be and you'll be proud of yourself in hindsight. And so when I think about people goal setting, right? We're in January now. It's like, okay, where do you want it's already, to be? It's, it's over already. New Year's resolution's gone. We're oh. at, it's, it's the 12th. Yeah, we're done. People are people have already given up. They haven't given up. Well, this is my problem with it though, <laughs> is it's, I'm so interested in achieving this thing. It's going to be different. And it's like, I want, it's it's very easy for people to be like, I want X, Y, and Z. I, oh, want I say it all the time. But who Listen. do you need to be to get X, Y, and Z? How do you need to think? What actions do you need to take? What standards do you need to have? What are that? What would that person value? Do they align with what you value? And not only what you value, but what you actually represent. Because we're in an age now where everything is so media focused. Yeah. You take people's words over what they actually do, right? It used to be actions are bigger than words, but now we just take what we see and what someone says. And we're like, oh my God, that's so great. It's like, but do you act like that in real life? Do you actually honor those values? Do you have those standards for yourself or do you just put them on other people? Right. And, and it's it's a very difficult road to navigate. So when people set goals, and I do this with all my clients every year, they have to submit expectations and goals. And I make them sit and think about it because I'm like, everything you write here, I will hold you, I will hold you accountable to. These are your words. I'm not forcing you to say any of it, but we're just not gonna sit here and daydream. Like yeah, we're gonna yeah. go get the shit. And, and then that, and that's yeah. the hard part because I think a lot of times people will see stuff like this or hear stuff like this and they get so fired up in the moment. And, th- and this is why I'm not like a big fan of like the whole motivational speaking thing. Um, that's just me, right? It's just, it, to me, it's, it's my opinion. You know, obviously you don't have to agree with it, but it's very easy to get fired up. Like you just went to a weekend seminar and you heard a lot of great stuff and you were, you were feeling all this positive energy and then t- Tuesday hits and your dog threw up on the carpet and your kid is fucking sick and your husband's breaking your balls about something. And now you're all stressed out. All of that motivation and all these things that you wanted to implement that you implemented on Monday that were great are now not being implemented on Tuesday because you have all these barriers to action. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was going to say, how do we, how can we perpetuate this activity as imperfectly as it can be just to keep it going even through the muck? So this is, um, 
one thing that we ran a challenge this is my first challenge ever. And one thing that I do is I do lives. And the first thing that I wanted to do in the first couple of weeks is actually break through all of the shit that, that was going to come up and how to navigate that appropriately. Because again, it comes back to the interest and the desire versus the commitment and the work ethic. Because when you choose to prioritize something, you also need to choose what you're going to suck at. And a lot of people can't do that. They can't go, okay, I'm actually going to suck at this thing and accept that I'm going to suck at this thing because I'm prioritizing this thing. This is why I have a belief and you can disagree with me. I'd actually be curious. I don't believe in balance. I do not like that word. I think it sets an unrealistic expectation and pressure onto human beings to be able to equally derive their energy into multiple different facets and arenas and be successful in all of them. I tattooed, is- it, I tattooed it on my body, but I don't believe in it either because it's funny. It's, it's, it's very much layered under everything else that you can't see on my arm because I really don't believe in it either. I think it's impossible to... What the, I mean, what is balance anyway? Does that mean that you're, you're equal parts doing everything that you have to do and equal parts enjoying a bunch of leisure time? How is that possible? I just think that, and it is subjective, obviously, right? But I think of it like a seesaw, right? If it's balanced, that means the weight and distribution is even on both sides. It is balanced, right? So in order to excel in anything, you have to redistribute your energy and intention to to succeed in that element, which means the energy that you have to give because we are human. There's only so many hours in a day, right? There's only so much that you can give and you have to invest in that thing. If you really want to achieve it, it's like the Jack of all trades is a master of none. And I do agree with that, right? You could be well-rounded. Okay, cool. If that is your goal and you want to be a well-rounded human being that kind of balances all things and, and is decent at all of them, cool. But you also have to accept that you will never excel the way that you say that you want to. And that's okay. Right. It's like people that are like, Oh, I want this. I want this. I want this. I want to lose weight. I want to do that. Fine. But you don't do it. So just be honest with yourself for five seconds and say, it's not a priority for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the right now part is important to distinguish also, because a lot of people say it's a priority for them. And then the season of your life changes unexpectedly. So at that point, it's an important element of self-awareness to say, maybe this was my goal last week, but I didn't anticipate my dog breaking her leg this week. And I didn't anticipate getting laid off this week. So maybe now my priority is going to shift into something different and that's okay. Yeah. And one thing I, I really try to explain and kind of beat a dead horse on is that we don't exist in a dichotomy, but a spectrum. Right. And so life is going to throw you fucking curveballs. And this is why I'm a huge fan of setting non-negotiables for people, because regardless of the rate in which you travel towards something that you want to achieve, the important thing is that you're still traveling regardless of the velocity of that journey. Right. So even if your dog gets hit, you have to go to the vet, whatever it might be, hopefully the dog's okay. Like, and you're, you missed your training session, right? That you were there for two hours and that was supposed to be your time to commute, to go train, to do whatever and come home. Okay. Now that time is washed. You have a decision to make in that moment to continue to prioritize your food, to not make an emotional decision, to not self-sabotage because the day didn't go perfect. Because I tell people this all the time, even with a plan, shit happens. That is life, right? So you can plan and meticulously have everything mapped out. And then all of a sudden you get a phone call about some crazy shit that you got to attend to because it's important. Okay, cool. That is life. It's always going to happen that way. So then you have to focus on what are the things that I've committed to 
what promise did I make to myself that I would do? I've gotten up at 4am to take walks outside in the freezing cold. I've stayed up until 11 o'clock at night to get, to get my steps in by the end of the day, because I promised myself that I would do that. And I should hold my word to myself above any other word that any other person tells me, because I know me better than anybody. And I can force my own hand, but you have to have that level of self-awareness and discipline to go, okay, I wrote these things down. And I really encourage people to write them down every day and see them in front of you and go do the actions that I take today, align with the person that I want to be because this is what they have to do do you believe that there's a triage though to these things and i'm just going to bring back that point that you just made about like, like just something as simple as like i'm going to hit my steps right if i if i like and i've been actually kind of doing that in a different roundabout way but like let's say you like you didn't hit your steps and now you're saying i'm staying up till 11 or 12 o'clock to do that let's say we are talking about some individual that is sleep deprived that is not getting a, a quality amount of sleep and now they hear this message and they love it. And now they're like, well, I didn't hit my steps, so I'm going to stay up late. And now they're sacrificing even more sleep to get the steps. Is there a triage in your belief system of the things that are kind of most important to least important when it comes to these things in the context of body transformation? So I think this is really important. Everyone has the root cause, the biggest issue in their own life, their own lifestyles. Okay. I would not encourage anyone to try to exist the way that I do, because I have said this time and time again, I'm a psychopath. <laughs> I I corroborate that folks. And I have this sick thing in my head. That's like, when I say I'm going to do something, I have to do it. I have to, right. And it's the pressure that I put on myself. Right. And so that's just the way that I am wired. I'm, I'm wired in the head that way. Not everybody should do that. And I would actually argue that most people shouldn't live the way that I do, right? I'm not saying that I'm any type of superior to anybody. I have my own demons, one of them being an all or nothing and kind of control freak. But if your problem, right, if you are someone who is underslept, poorly fed, doesn't move a lot, right? Being sedentary can make you more tired, which is why I tell people who say I'm too tired to get my steps, that you need to get up and get your fucking steps and you'll feel more energetic, right? Because momentum, right? That's a real thing. Um, but they don't know it because they think, oh, I'm tired and I've been sitting and I'm just tired. Well, get up, get up, get outside, get some movement, get some sunshine. And I bet you feel a lot better. Right. And they do that and they see the return on that. And they're like, wow, okay. I did need to do that. But someone that we have to look at the, the root cause of their problems. And this is where screening is so important. This is your goal. This is what you're currently doing. So we audit all of our clients. We get a comprehensive lifestyle image of their day-to-day down to the wire. What does your day look like? How are you feeding your body? What are you moving? How much caffeine are you consuming? Are you going to the bathroom? Like, what are your stressors? How do you cope with stress? Blah, blah, blah. Get a comprehensive picture. Based on that, it's like a puzzle. And I love this shit. It's like, then I get to roadmap it out and kind of pinpoint the things to go, okay, your non-negotiables need to be around these things. What are they going to be? Do you believe, now, do you believe in writing this down and then having it like just blatantly in your face? Like I'm yeah. somebody who likes notepads and likes checking stuff off. I've never been one to. I have sticky po- notes everywhere. Yeah, like I've never been one to like, and I encourage people to do this, although I don't do it myself, like to like post something, like to use like one of those markers on your mirror and have a reminder of that in the bathroom every morning or in your mirror in the in your bedroom or throw something on the refrigerator. That's got a big calendar where you're checking stuff off. And I was going to yep. go to the gym three times and I did it. I think there's value in it by, by all means. Like, I think that stuff is fantastic, but at least like what you said, I always encourage people to understand the things that you know, you're good at 
the things that you know you're capable of, because those are two different things. And then the things that you recognize about yourself where you can use some work. And we all have that that area. Like for me, I I I suck at meal typing. I'm just not good at it. I don't plan well. I just kind of eat whenever and I end up backloading 2,500 calories after seven o'clock at night. Okay. But even there, like I would say pause and be careful of how you speak about yourself because the thing is you're not bad at it. It's I just, not a, I don't it's care not enough a priority about it. Correct. I don't care enough about it. It doesn't bother me enough to change it. Correct. And that's all it is, but I'm self-aware enough to know that. So guess who doesn't complain about the lack of results? Aram doesn't. Um, but Aram also is, is on this side of the table. For the people that are on the other side of this table that do have problems with themselves and they do have problems with their lack of progress, I don't think it's unfair, disordered or extreme or harsh to tell them that you just aren't prioritizing something because the amount of stories that I've heard of triumph and all the barriers to, to action that the, some of these people have, like I had a woman on today on a live single working mother who, went, who ended up going from like 220 to 156 in eight years. And now she's competing in Olympic weightlifting. Like I hear this stuff and what it does is it excites me about the potential of human beings. But for every one of her stories, I hear 75 stories of daily, I can't do it because time ran out or I was too busy or I forgot. And really it just comes down to just, you're going to, yes, you're going to forget. Yes, time will run out. Yes, the day will end. But are you just at least practicing that every day? And are you getting yourself disappointed because it didn't get done on a daily basis? And is the disappointment coming with some type of a follow-up action? Like, it's okay. To, I think there's nothing wrong with being disappointed about not achieving something. I think the, the failure lies in not learning from it. So this is the hard truth that most people need to accept. You are where you are because of all of the choices, actions, and habits that you have made, period. Yep. If you want to change, you need to change the way that you manage all of those things. If you say, I couldn't work out this week because life got crazy, well, how are you with planning? Do you look at your week in advance? Do you look at your days in advance? Do you make it a priority for you to force your own hand to do the thing that you know because you don't have the thought processes, discipline, or habits in place to execute those things? You will continue to make excuses. And guess what? Excuses are everywhere and they are valid. I could be tired, hungover, whatever the fuck life might have thrown at me based on a choice that I made, right? Or how life happened. But I still have the choice to go, okay, I said I was going to do this. It's in my calendar. I put my cardio, my training in there like meetings because they're non-negotiable. I have to show up or I could get fired, right? I think about it that seriously because that's what it will take for you to get anything. But what you do you say? But, what do you, but let me challenge you just for just for a second because I think it's just an interesting conversation. What do you say to the people that will hear something like that and be like, "Well, that's disordered, or that's extreme, or that's unreasonable"? I accept the fact that I'm an extremist, and I'm fine with that. That's what I would say. Yeah. No, I mean, because I, I don't I, want I to like with me, and like I said, I'm I'm wired differently, and I can acknowledge the the shadows of of me being the way that I am, but. I like planning. I like setting intentions and I like, I am the most critical person of myself always. And I will always be that. Um, it's and again, the reason it's, why you're a high achiever. Yeah. And I, I am aware of all those things, but regardless of whether you're like me or not, you should still look at, okay, I am where I am because I've lived my life for the past six months to a year in this. 
right? And if you're self-aware enough to go, I tend to lean into my excuses. I could easily go for a walk right now, but I'm sitting on the couch with Cheetos. Maybe I should get up and go for a walk before I sit and eat the Cheetos, right? And you can, if you, and this is why I do love journaling and reminders and scheduling and having shit around you, because these are not conscious thoughts and you are not disciplined to control and act on these thoughts until you've ingrained them as a habit. Right. So we need to have a stimulus that is a reminder, whether it's your phone, a notepad, your mirror, I don't give a fuck what it is. Something that reminds you, this is the person that I said I was going to be. And these are the things that I need to do. Yeah. No. And that's, and for some of, for until you've reached the level of autonomy or independence with these types of decisions, the reminders are relevant and they're super important. You know, I think once you've graduated out of that reliance of reminding, you could probably operate it and go alone. But for most of us, that's not the case. For most of us, even the things that we are really good at and bulletproof at, of course, yeah, we don't need reminders. You're not going to stop being a parent. You're not going to forget to be a mom. You're not going to forget to show up to work. You're not going to forget to to hang out with your friends. But what about all the other stuff that you're not getting done that you do need a reminder on? So that's what I I was going to segue into next is like the fun part for me And I say this a lot because I genuinely believe it to be true. And you can give me your opinion, but I think that your obligation to yourself and your lifetime is to find out all that it is that you could be, which means once you master in a season of life, right, something might be a priority and you might need to ingrain habits and systems to discipline yourself, to create and cultivate those habits and behaviors. And once you do, you learn something about yourself and now you have wisdom that you didn't previously had, which then piques curiosity down a different rabbit hole in which you then need to reverse engineer and have those systems in place so that you can continue to become who it is that you want to be as you continue to learn more and more about the world and about yourself and what you're capable of doing. And so for me, it's always that it's like, well, when I was in college and I was studying performance and physique enhancement and on all those things on nutrition and metabolism, I had compartmentalized and, and blocked out what I needed to do, what I needed to study, how I needed to learn, how I needed to speak, what research I was going through, whatever it might've been. I did the same thing last year, all about business. I had a lot to learn about business, fucking bomb ass coach. Business is a different game, right? So then I had to sit down and like map all that stuff. And I'm still learning about all that stuff. And now I'm passionate, like ridiculously passionate. I don't know why about evolutionary psychology. And so for me to start studying and understanding those things, I kind of go down these rabbit holes and I put in systems where I'm blocking off time and I'm writing a book. So now I have to have a habit because I wasn't writing before. So I didn't block off time to read time to write. And I do that now because the person that I want to become has these things, they do them every day. And so regardless of what arena that you're in or what you're pursuing, it doesn't always have to be relative to weight loss and all that. Right. And I think that health overall could really use an industry. And one thing that I'm speaking about at your event is kind of bridging the gap between psychology and physiology, because without this thing programmed and open and flexible and malleable to change, which scares the living shit out of most people, right? You're never going to sustain any change because you fundamentally, the way that you're wired, the things that you believe, the habits that you have, the actions that you partake, they have not changed. And so until you can get to the root cause of what's actually going on, that's prevented you from doing this before and actually achieving it long-term, we're never going to be able to live the rest of your life the way that you want to. So we have to start there. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I, I've The reason why I've been able to get a little bit further down the road and, and from a success standpoint is purely because I've been able to stop allowing the noise to creep in. Um, I was very good at being everywhere and pleasing everybody and saying yes to everything when I was in my twenties. And I mean, I had the potential to make a ton of fucking money in finance. Like I was working at a company where we were producing a a new 25 year old millionaire every six months. 
And I was so fucking short-sighted and I was so excited about the little bit of money that I was making just to spend it all without mm. ever, without ever applying myself into the, into the business that I was in and to really swim with the sharks and learn why they are the way they are, as opposed to just, Oh, I'm making 120 grand a year as a 24 year old kid. Cool. Let's fly to Miami this weekend and get fucked up. That's immaturity. That's short-sighted thinking. That's living in that proverbial moment and not really extracting the value of what's going on versus the kids that are now running their own companies that I worked with. The ones that are all now have moved on and have built these empires were the ones who were not doing that on the weekends, who were not spending their money, who sat at the trading desk after hours with the nighttime traders and learned the way that they did their job. They're the ones who ended up leaving in a year with seven figures in their pocket. Now, I was never motivated by money. Maybe that was it. Maybe that's why I didn't excel. But knowing what I know now about the time I squandered in my 20s, I'm never going to do that again because it was a hard lesson to learn. But I think sometimes it requires us to feel loss and it and feel like shit and feel down in the dumps to truly finally take action to to do the things that we want to do there's a lot that i want to say in there but the last nugget that you said i think that and you can find this too i'm sure in coaching i think that one of the most important roles that we play that we hate to see but is important and i'm sure it's the same as motherhood you have to inevitably allow people to fail mm-hmm you have to. It is a very important part of the process in any arena that you're in because you don't learn resilience and you don't get the perspective that you need to check yourself and your ego, right? To grow as a person and find out what you need to do and who you need to become to be successful. And I do want to break down the idea of success because I think it's very important that you said, I was never motivated by money. Maybe if I was, I would have been successful. I think that's, I think that's, um, a narrative that deserves a different perspective because I, I had this conversation the other day. If, if you don't decide what is valuable to you, society will tell you what it should be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful to know many, many people who are incredibly successful and I mean, wealthier than I can even compartmentalize. Right. And they are also very unfulfilled and very unhappy And I think it's because we are taught to chase things that because they're difficult to achieve, we've also labeled them as valuable. And I don't find that to be the case. And so I think it's really important for most people. I don't know that most people are even independent thinkers anymore. I think that we kind of agree with someone that we like and their opinion and kind of accept it to be true, but that's a podcast for a different time. (laughs) I think it's important to sit back in your own life. Like people give me shit all the time. Like, all of the money that I spend is is for office supplies. I have two desks. I've got a monitor. I got a nice new laptop that I needed. Um, I got a mic. I'm, you know, whatever. Like I find more value in that. I didn't have a TV all of last year, and I got so much shit for not having a television. Right. I'll send you. I'll send you a painting. And it's like for your wall. But I've never, even as a kid, and I'm really grateful I didn't grow up with a lot because I was still happy and I still had happy experiences without having monetary things. And so, yeah. And so when I think about what is meaningful to me, you know, a lot of people go, why don't you have that? Or you should buy that. And I'm like, I I don't actually care about those things. And it's okay for me to say, I don't care. Now, if you are motivated by money and you do find that to be incredibly valuable and you do think it's meaningful to your life, right. Then like pursue the things that, that do that for you. That's great. But I think it's just understanding what is it that's actually meaningful to me, not what people say 
should be meaningful to me. And it's another thing about, you could do this in weight loss. You can do this with physique and performance. You could do this in all those arenas. Well, society says that this ideal is valuable. So I need to try to look like Kim Kardashian. At what cost? And in pursuing something that is not truly meaningful to you, but is deemed meaningful by other people, you slowly start to lose yourself because you are now trying to emulate somebody else because you think being more like them is valuable. And I will tell you the most valuable thing that you can do is be yourself because nobody can be you. No one, literally the way that you're quirky. Maybe you swear a lot like me. I, I don't know, but nobody could be Aram better than Aram. Even if people tried, they could not be. And the problem with it is like, we're in a place where people don't think that they're special or unique as they are. So then they try to masquerade themselves as being something else. And I think it's important again, like when you go down your health and fitness journey, we'll circle back to the, the topic. When you go down these pursuits and these roads, it should be about finding out all that it is that you're capable of your own sense of resilience, your, that, that threshold of mental fortitude, right? Where you really learn that you can do difficult things. And the only way that you will ever grow is by forcing yourself out into the fire of a difficult fucking thing, because that is where growth happens. And that's where you can find confidence in yourself, because now you've overcome this obstacle that for maybe a long period of time you were putting off, or you were too afraid to address whatever it is. Now you've overcome that. And it's like, oh, fuck, I can do hard things and I can succeed at them. And I am not inadequate. And I, you know, I, whatever it is, and I have more confidence than I thought I have more mental fortitude than I thought I have more discipline than I thought I did. And then you can start to build momentum to have the courage to take on this next pursuit. And that's what propels fo people forward is that they learn that they are capable, but we're taught in our society right now, everyone is a victim and they're coddled and then they're sensitive. And it's like, no, sometimes you have to say the fucking hard thing. That's true because you've got to wake people up to go, okay, if you're not happy with this, Hi, you can actually change that. You can quite yeah. literally do anything that you want to do. And the sad thing for me, and I think about this a lot because I kind of future frame myself. I think that so we're going to get really deep here. Then you can pull me out of the, <laughs> the trenches. One thought that I have is that I think that people that fear death, deep down they know it's because they are not living the life that they wanted to. They want to prolong the time horizon in which they have so that maybe someday when they retire and have that funding, when they get married and have kids, when they, whatever the fuck it is that they feel like they have to wait for, then they can live that life and they hope that they feel young and they're healthy enough to do so. The beautiful thing and the hard thing about the human experience is that it is finite. We all know we're going to die, but no one really acknowledges that. And so every day is the opportunity to do something different. Now, I'm not telling you to go fucking quit your job and divorce your husband, but like if you're truly dissatisfied with your current life, there is a way out and it's never stuck. You've never dug a hole so deep that you could not get yourself out of, never. And so it's every day is an opportunity. And if you don't like your life, change it. It's not that difficult. It's scary. <laughs> There's a lot of fear there, uncertainty, sure. and this is the wrong thing and people are going to judge me and whatever it might be. But like, I know people in their thirties that just went back to school that graduated, that they're doing what the fuck they love to do. And we spend so much of our time working in jobs that we hate pursuing careers. We don't even love, right. And how much time do you spend in an office 40 hours a week, maybe more like how much energy could you put into a pursuit that you actually loved? How good could you get at that thing? I don't know. These are just things that I think about, but. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that the reason why you and I connected, the reason why I do what I do is because I made that decision. 
I would have never met the people that I met in my life and been connected to so many wonderful people now in my life and my career if I never chose to finally stop thinking that it was money that I wanted as opposed to impact and helping people that I wanted. But I was also willing to do whatever it took to get here. So like a lot of people now that are maybe listening and kind of the reason for my for the summit is I'm helping you bridge the gap. Like if you feel like you have imposter syndrome because you're a coach who only coaches 15 hours a week and you only have five clients because your full-time job is, you know, as a nurse practitioner or whatever else, and you want to get out of that job, the only way you're going to get good at the thing you want to get good at is by arming yourself with as much information as possible, reducing your imposter syndrome and doing the thing that you want to do, which means you'll have to give up the other thing that you're doing to make time and space available for this new thing. And it's going to be scary and it might be financially uncomfortable for a little while, but I mean, shit, if you have to then maybe at night go and drive Uber to supplement your income, so be it. Like fucking start that OnlyFans girl. Why not? Don't get me started on OnlyFans. <laughs> hey, listen, if you leave your nursing job to become a full-time coach, you might need, to, you might need OnlyFans to keep the lights Women, on. Women, you deserve better. Do not do that. And if you are a female on OnlyFans, please don't be offended at that comment, but it is a belief that I have. <laughs> I digress. But the point is, is that I think whether it's, whether it's becoming a better coach, whether it's becoming a better version of yourself, whatever it is, Unless you step into that thing unapologetically every single day and know that you're not going to be perfect at it, but you're just still going to get the reps, just get the reps. That's kind of like the rule of 100 I have. I cannot judge myself or ridicule myself or label myself inadequate until I've done one thing over 100 times. And I guarantee the 100th time is way better than the first. It's got to be. And how? And if it's not, what do you? what's happening from one to 99? Well, then you're not practicing self-awareness or reflecting on or taking any feedback, right? Like there's also that auditing that people have to acknowledge and you have to be able to objectively, transparently look at yourself and go, am I really everything that I say that I am? Or do I just say that I am so that my ego feels like I am? I don't even right. know what that feels like anymore. The ego is completely gone. That's the best though, because then you're so far enlightened. You're like, yeah, I really suck at this thing. And you can say it out loud and it doesn't really hurt your feelings because it's just a truth that you can acknowledge. Yep. But that's how you also address it and fix it if you want to. I love that we started with body comp and ended up on psychology. This is what you're so good at. And this is why I'm very happy that you're going to be speaking to people about this because people need to understand how to, to be able to bridge those gaps. Yeah. And again, to me and what I do, it's the most fundamental foundational thing. That is also the hardest thing um, because it's hard to look at yourself and go, wow, I actually have a lot of areas to improve. But I think on the other side of that negative perspective is a very positive one because look at how much growth is going to come from it once you do. Totally agree. All right, friends. Thank you, Ron, for coming on and enlightening my Thursday afternoon. I appreciate you. Um, I will see you guys in March in Vegas. It will be my birthday, by the way, you asshole. So you better come party with me. Okay. <laughs> like come show up. I'll give you a good talk. There's going to be some incredible speakers there. If you have not gotten your tickets, I will link it below. There is a deadline if you are looking to get any type of special accommodations. So you do need to book that sooner than later. If you have questions, you can reach out to Aram on Instagram. It will be linked below. And Aram, is there any last words that you want to leave to the people? Uh, aside from just coming and networking and learning, why would you not come to watch her try to be hung over on stage and try to teach you folks? Because that's going to be just, I think that's going to be
part of the success of the event in itself is just watching some of the speakers survive after the two hour happy hour that they're going to be going to the night before. I will be wearing glasses, everyone. (laughs) And we'll need caffeine. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time. Thank you.